Thank you, Andrew. Well, good morning. My name is Steve, and I'm so glad that you're here. And again, we would love to connect with you. Um, and so make sure uh, you fill out a connect card or chat with a staff member. We would love to get to know you. Before we jump into the sermon, I just want to give a vision update. And so we have the AGM coming uh, next Sunday. And so one of the things that I just want to pass on so that you attend the AGM is that we have kind of changed directions in terms of staffing. And so our vision is equipping people to take the next step with Jesus, transforming our lives and our community. And so we said we want to hire a children's director. And so we've been searching and we've had some applications. And it got down to we've even interviewed people. And then God kind of stirred some of the leadership up and said, hey, actually, I don't want you to do that. And so we've been praying. Leora has been praying. And so we've changed directions and we are now going to hire an associate pastor. Leora wants to stay in children's ministry and continue on. She feels like she's excited about that. And to be honest, it'd be really hard to replace her, <laughs> right? Because she's so good at what she does. And so just be in prayer. Uh, we're going to launch a search team. We're going to hear more about that at the AGM. The board's going to meet, and we're going to come up with a plan. But one of the reasons why is we're doing something called the Immerse Program, which means we are training people in-house to do ministry in partnership with Northwest Seminary. And we need another pastor who can help train up people so that we can accomplish our vision. And I'm super excited about that piece too. And so come to the AGM and get some more information and let's jump in. Let me just pray again. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for our vision God, I just pray that you would speak to us today in your name. Amen. All right, back to the book of Ruth. So we're in chapter 2. And the book of Ruth, as it plays out, it's like it starts out as this epic tragedy. And it kind of moves into this romantic comedy. And we're kind of stuck in the middle and the question that I want to ask today is this. Can you see God's blessings even when things go wrong? Can you see God's blessings even when things go wrong? Last week, I shared a lot about my own personal story. I shared about the time that I was sitting beside my wife in the hospital, and she was stuck in this deep fog of depression. And the words were etched in my brain. Honey, I can't find my way out. Pray for me. Help me. But our story doesn't end there. It continues. She was also pregnant with our third child, Anna. We decided, because things were so hard and so difficult, just like in the book of Ruth, we started to pack up our house and we decided to relocate from Abbotsford to Victoria. Now, if you could imagine, we lived in a house that was 2,700 square feet, and we rented this little cottage that was 800 square feet. <laughs> 
I mean, half our stuff ended up in a storage container, and we didn't actually know what we were going to do. And so we packed it all up, and we moved to Victoria. One of the main reasons is, is we wanted to be closer to family. We needed support. I knew that I couldn't continue working my job, which I loved. But I needed to take care of my family. So we moved to Ogden Point, which was one of the blessings. You know, in the evening, we would stroll down to the beach. I'd probably have my little girls on each hand. We'd sit on the shore, and we would start to collect sea glass. You know, we would find you know, a lot of amber, a lot of white, a little bit of blue. And if we found a red one, oh, the girls were excited because those were really hard to find. But how is sea glass made? You know, it's probably because teenagers were drinking and throwing bottles in the ocean and they smashed, right? I blame the teenagers. But as the glass enters into the deep waters, it's jagged, it's sharp. And as the storms roll in and blow that sea glass over the rocks, it's refined, it's softened, it's changed, it's transformed. You know, I remember being pretty upset that God made me move <laughs> to Victoria. I, I missed my friends. I missed my job. I was devastated at times. You know, God, why? <laughs> but I also noticed, just like the sea glass, I was being refined. I was being changed. It was because of the hardship that I was able to have hard conversations with my wife about our marriage. I needed to learn to support her better in the storm. It was because of the hardship I was actually able to spend time with my little girls in a new way, and we made so many great memories. You know, it was because of the suffering that I was able to work on me. I was able to take time and enjoy God, be in his word, going, God, what needs to go? What needs to be refined in my own heart so that I can serve you well? And it was because of suffering I was able to trust him and take steps forward. I was the sea glass. In the book of Ruth, we see the hand of God moving in Naomi and in Ruth as they are being changed. And I remember even in the middle of the difficulty, Megan said these words to me, hey, hon, the bitter darkness is becoming sweet. The bitter darkness, the brokenness 
It's coming together. And when we look back, she says this, that was one of the best seasons of our life. This is exactly what you see in the book of Ruth. The bitterness becomes sweet. That the hand of God is moving, even in the fog, even in the darkness. He's refining, he's preparing, he's providing, he's doing something to transform the life of Naomi and Ruth. So the question for all of us, can you see the blessings in your life even when things go wrong? Well, let's jump in. The first point is this. Seek God and take initiative. Seek God and take initiative. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 says this. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. Elimelech, can't talk. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So here we have Ruth. She sets out to gather grain and to provide not only for herself, but for Naomi. Notice that she's the one who takes responsibility. She's the one who takes the initiative. Now, if you remember last week, Ruth is the foreigner. Ruth is the one who didn't really know the God of Israel. Ruth is the one who said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to abandon you. Your God be my God. Your people be my people. I'm going to take initiative. I'm going to care for you. Even in your bitterness, I'm going to trust God. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 says this. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was one of the family of Elimelech. Now, what is gleaning? Well, gleaning refers to the practice of gathering the leftover crops. And one of the laws of the Jewish community is this, is make sure that you leave enough for the poor, for the widowed, for those that are in need. And so as you're gleaning, as you're collecting grain, if you drop some on the ground, leave it. Don't pick it up. In fact, on the edges of the crops, leave some there so that the poor has enough. Because one of the laws is we need to take care of our community. We need to give back. We need to be obedient of God. We are not just responsible for me, but everyone else. Gleaning is a bit like begging, but a bit better. Is that when you don't have enough, it must have been humiliating to walk out in the field and start to pick up your daily bread. And if you didn't find food, you didn't eat. And it was in this field that we start to see what God is doing. 
It was in this field we see the hand of God working now through Boaz. So then Boaz appears in the scene, and this is what he says. Who's this young woman? Who is that that I see gleaning and collecting grain? You know, my question is, what actually caught his eye? Was it because she was a foreigner? Or was it because she was attractive? I think it's probably the latter. I think as you read the story, it was more like, who's in the field? (laughs) Tell me. I want to know her. She catches his eye and his attention. And you start to see Boaz falling for Ruth. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And then Ruth says, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So again, we're reminded that Ruth is an outsider. She's a foreigner. She doesn't actually belong. But we also learn that she's a hard worker. She's polite. She's kind. She asks permission to gather the wheat. Verse 8, then Boaz says to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from there, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. In other words, stay within eyesight. I I, want to keep you on my radar. Then he says this. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Well, what is Boaz doing here? Well, he actually establishes a sexual harassment policy. It's a bit old school. It's kind of like a mob boss. (laughs) Hey, boys, if you touch her, they're going to find your body in the field. (laughs) I want to keep my eye on her. She is mine. I kind of like Boaz. Kind of want to do that as a father. (laughs) It may happen. Look out. But as we keep reading, we learn that Ruth works right until evening, and then she goes home with this abundant provision from God. And I kind of imagine that moment when she knocks on the door, hey, Naomi, help me. I can't even carry all the grain that I got. Look what God has provided. And in the story, you even see the bitterness of Naomi start to turn sweet. She starts to see what God is doing, 
even in the hardship, even in the suffering. And I think for some of us, we treat our bitter circumstances like an escape room where we have to quickly find our way out. You know, I need to provide the answer. I need to unlock the door of this unexplained hardship. I need to figure out the riddle. And yes, the book of Ruth says we do need to take responsibility. But here's the thing. Not every single problem and hardship is related to our sin. Sometimes it's the hand of God saying, hey, I want to refine you. I love you. I'm going to direct you. And if we're suffering because of our sin, yes, we need to take responsibility. But sometimes we pray and say, God, take this situation away. And he doesn't answer our prayer. I think the answer is because God has you exactly where he wants you. He wants you to go to him even when it hurts, even when you don't understand, even when you're in the middle of, I don't know what to do. His hand is guiding you. His hand is calling you to walk faithfully. And that's what we see Ruth doing. She seeks God in her situation, and then she takes initiative. But it starts by seeking God. God, you are my God. She started there. And then she's the one who takes initiative. The new Christian, she's excited. She goes out, she risks. She works hard. She trusts him. But it started by seeking God. And it reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, which says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, this gives us a clear target when we're suffering, when we don't know what to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. That's exactly what the book of Ruth is teaching us. Seek God. In other words, seek God when you're trying to work through your marriage problems. And then take initiative. Get counseling if you need counseling. Read books. Educate yourself. But seek God. Seek God when your coworker needs help. Pray about it, but then take initiative. Go for coffee. Love on them. Pray for them. Seek God when things are hard at home. Take initiative. Have conversations about how you can be a better spouse, how you can be a better parent. Ask yourself, how can I serve my family better? How can I change so that I can be more like Christ? How can I be a blessing even when things are hard? This is what we learn in the book of Ruth. 
Next, we learn that we can come rest under God's providence. That we can come and rest under God's providence. Well, what do I mean by providence? We talked about this last week, and I encourage you to listen to the sermon. This will make a lot more sense. It means that God is in control. It means that he is sovereign, that he is in control of all creation and history. It means that he is all-powerful. Even though God is in control, we still have to take responsibility for our decisions and our actions, and those things work together like a river flowing. And God somehow uses all our circumstances for good, even when we make dumb decisions. So let's jump back into the conversation between Ruth and Boaz, verse 10. It says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has fully been told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So actually, what did Boaz notice about Ruth? He noticed her faithfulness, her character, her kindness. It wasn't just her beauty. I'm pretty sure she was beautiful. Just say it. But it's like kindness is talking to kindness. It's like love starts talking to love. It's like character starts talking to character. And then what does Boaz do? Does he get on one knee? No, he actually starts praying for her. Verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Wow. When's the last time you've prayed out loud when you've met someone you're attracted to? (laughs) He prays God's blessing over her. He's saying, may you reap that full reward for your faithfulness as you take refuge under God's wings. And the Bible actually gives us this beautiful picture of God and his people. God is like this great mother eagle who protects, who protects the wandering young, who protects the naive babies who don't really know what to do next. It's a picture of security and safety. It's a picture of trusting God's plan, even though we don't understand it. But yet we come under his wings of protection. We come under God. We come under his refuge. You know, during an earthquake... What are you taught to do? Well, you're taught to take refuge. You know, when things are physically shaking, 
In the schools, you're taught to go under the desk. So when things are falling, you're protected. During your home, you're supposed to go under the kitchen table or find a, a strong structure so that you are protected. So what happens when your personal world shakes? When life falls apart, where do you go? You know, some go to the bottle or substances. Some take refuge in their own strength. Some take refuge in their own abilities. And the Bible says, ultimately, all those things will fail you. And the book of Ruth shows us that we can find rest in the almighty God who sustains all things. That we can find refuge in prayer. That we can find refuge when we depend on the spirit of God. That we can find refuge when we come under him. That when we realize we're not the one who can control the outcomes, and when we go under God and go, God, I give it back to you. I need your strength. I need your direction. I need your provision. We can finally then rest. We no longer need to bear the burden of life on our own that God said he would carry it for us and with us. And Ruth teaches us that we can find rest in God knowing that he is in control. We can find rest when we release control. We can find rest when we go to God because the burden's not too heavy for God. Have you found rest? Lastly, we can enjoy God's provision. We can really enjoy God's provision. Verse 14 says this, and this all happens within a day, by the way. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her and passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. But notice that Ruth leaves her homeland hungry and now finds herself satisfied. Notice that Ruth makes a decision to be faithful, to serve a bitter person, and then finds the sweetness of God's provision. Notice that she's sitting with Boaz, enjoying a meal, enjoying the provision, enjoying the company as they're passing the blessing from Boaz to Ruth. He passes the roasted grain. He passes the blessing. So I think the question is, who is Boaz? Well, remember when Ruth goes home and shows Naomi all that God has provided? 
all that God has done, in that moment, Naomi actually figures it out. Oh, I know who it is. I know what's going on. I see the hand of God providing. I see God at work. And in that moment, all her suspicions about God's love dissipate. In that moment, her hard heart becomes softened. In that moment, she realizes God's plan. It's Boaz. In verse 20, it says, Ah, he's the man that is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. In other words, it's not coincidence or luck. It's God. It's the sovereign hand of God who's been leading us back to this field where you've met Boaz, and he's provided, he's passed on blessing, he's turned the bitterness to sweet. And this is the center of the story. We now find out why Boaz is so important. It's because he's a kingsman redeemer, which is a male relative who helps the weaker relative in danger. But it goes beyond that. He's the person that delivers, that rescues, that redeems property, even on behalf of somebody who can't act on their own. So spoiler alert. Naomi's like, ah. If Boaz marries Ruth, he will save my family line. He will save Ruth. He will save me, and he can redeem all that's lost. And Naomi, too, starts to see and enjoy the beautiful plan that God is carrying out. You know, when my life fell apart, and I had to take steps of faith, I learned to enjoy God. I learned to count my blessings. And I also learned that there were so many things in my life that were crowding out God, that were crowding out what is good. Each piece of sea glass reminds me of each blessing that I encountered as I walked through suffering. And at one point, we had so much sea glass. We had this massive glass thing full. We filled it to the brim. And it broke because we had so much. We had this abundance of when we moved, we had so much sea glass that we had to get rid of some because we couldn't pack it all away. And I think if we look for God's blessing, even in the hardship, you will find that there's so many things you can be grateful for, so many things that you can be thankful for. There's so many things that God can teach you, even when it's hard. Count your blessings. 
Another pastor said this, when your life falls apart, there's a field which you can come with an odor that will care for you. There's a God who owns everything in this world who sent his son who found poor outsiders and fed them. In other words, he sees us, he knows us, he invites us to his table. He feeds us from his hand, and more than that, from his very body, which was broken for you. He lifts us up out of the pit, out of our sin, out of our hardship, And his field is big enough for all who are hungry. His wings are wide enough for all those who need refuge. His house is big enough for everyone who needs a room. He is the redeemer. And he is not just the redeemer of our earthly souls, but our eternal souls. So what happened to Ruth is a picture of what happens to us when we come to Christ. He lifts us up. He cares for us. He provides for us. And when the pain doesn't seem to end, when the tears won't dry up, when despair is a constant friend, when almost no one is left to care for you, you have Christ. And when you turn to Christ, he will pull you in tight under his wings. He will redeem you. He will shepherd you. He will watch over you. And he will invite you to his table. We are about to take communion. So I'm going to call the worship team up. I just want to give a general invitation. Maybe you're here and you're not sure what it means to follow Christ. What it means to follow Christ is when you've come to the end of yourself and you don't know when where to turn. Christ is welcoming you in to be Lord of your life to trust him even in the hardship, to trust him even when you don't understand what's going on. It's what it means to seek God. So I invite you to seek God and take that next step. Let's just close our eyes and pray. If you want to take that next step, it starts by admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you fall short, Believing what Christ did on the cross and committing your life. So pray these words. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. That I've made a mess of my life. And that I need you. That I need you to redeem me. Thank you for dying on the cross. I believe that you did that and rose again. And today... I commit my life to following you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you prayed that prayer and you took that next step, that's a cause for celebration. 
celebrate what God is going to do in your life. And maybe you're stuck in bitterness and you want to taste the sweetness. Go towards Christ. Communion means that we're remembering and celebrating the king of the feast, the one who provides, the one who gives you all that you need, more than you need. And we celebrate that Jesus came to earth and invited us into a better way of living. So the bread, the wafer represents his body that he gave voluntarily so that you can have life. His body was given as the ultimate provision so that we can have this connection between us and God so that you don't have to be alone in your suffering. Let me pray. God, thank you for your provision. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that your sovereign hand guided us to a point where we can turn to you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. represents a new agreement. It represents the currency paid for our sin. It represents the fact that he's invited us in and he made a way so that when we were not satisfied, he will satisfy. And no matter what happens in life, we don't have to earn our salvation because of the blood of Christ. Because he ran red on the cross, it's not something that you can do because he already did it. So in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take it together. call our prayer teams forward if you want prayer for any reason. We'll have people praying on the left, on the right, and in the back corner. Let me just pray. God, we thank you for what you've done, for your faithful promises. So God, when we enter into what you're doing, we can see that you're good, that we can see that even when we don't understand in the suffering, in the hardship, in the pain, that you are doing something beautiful, that you are making what is bittersweet. And so God, I do pray if there's anyone here that is feeling bitter, God, that you would make them sweet today, that you would change hard hearts to soft hearts, hearts that surrender control to you, and trust you and take their next step. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.